Welcome, listeners, to the QBS Express, the ACEC Kansas podcast series. I'm your host, Executive Director Scott Heidner, and we are recording today at the ACEC Kansas office in Topeka, looking out of the Capitol building. My guest today is KDOT Secretary Julie Lorenz. Julie, thanks for coming and being on the show. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. For our listeners' benefit, it is early March when we record this. It'll be a little later when you hear it, but we've uh, plucked Julie out of the Capitol where she's working pretty much full-time right now on legislative issues. But we're super excited to have you on. A lot of our listeners will be very familiar with you, um, but we have a lot that won't, and this will be a great exposure for them. Uh, we'd like to get to know more about you on the, the personal side and your background and your professional career, and then obviously love to hear what your vision is and what's in store for KDOT moving forward. That sounds good. I would say, uh, first of all, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad I'm over at the Capitol quite a bit right now. We have seven bills in front of the legislature. Mm -hmm. Uh, I couldn't be happier to say, really, the page is starting to turn relative to transportation in Kansas. We have a long, successful legacy of transportation in Kansas. We've been in a bit of decline for the last few years. Uh, The task force met over the last fall and has really, I think, um, amped up the conversation about transportation, reignited a lot of interest. And I'm hopeful that at least a few of our bills move forward this session. Yeah, it it really does. Boy, you never want to count your chickens before they hatch, but it really does feel like there's more optimism than there has been in a while on this issue particularly, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, around transportation, but I'd say um, even more broadly for our state, right? Um, whether you're talking about education or health care or foster care or corrections, uh, you know, we're we're a big team. And we need to stick together as we as we move forward on behalf of all Kansans. Yeah. Well, let's rewind and go all the way back to the beginning for our folks that don't know you as well. Uh, you were born and raised where? So I was born and raised in Warsaw, Missouri, which is southwest Missouri uh, on Truman Lake, which is headwaters for Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, my dad, newspaper man, um, actually cool story. Uh, the printing press was pulled up from a uh, riverboat by a team of mules, and uh, the paper's been in our family for over 140 years. No kidding. Right, Is it right. still in your family? And it's still, my younger brother runs the paper now. My dad actually grew up in the steamboat. The back half of the steamboat was where the family lived, and the front half was where the printing press was. And then um, shortly after World War II, they moved to a bigger house, into a real house. And then my aunt, Laura, my great aunt Laura, ran a, uh, a an antique shop in the steamboat. And so it wasn't until the mid-70s that the steamboat was taken down and then a brick building was built in its what place. A, what a cool American story. It is. It is. So printer's blood, right? Uh, and then my mom was a school teacher, kind of on and off. Um, there are four kids. Uh, I have an older brother, younger sister, and younger brother. And so she kind of wafted in and out between being a full-time mom and being a part-time school teacher. But I think that um, that speaks to, because of their their civic um, their view of our responsibility to give back to community. My dad was also a mayor forever cool. on the school board and then was the mayor for a long, long time. And my mom, as I said, was a school teacher. So I, I, the idea of giving back to community and uh, civil service is so important to my family, being a good, good contributor. And that's one of the reasons I decided to come back to KDOT is it's an opportunity to give back to community. Yeah. The newspaper business it's awesome that your family is still doing that because uh, no, i'm not telling you anything you don't know but the the smaller papers are just dying at oh a so my brother prolific rate. Um, 
he's pretty entrepreneurial. He started a um, some sort of um, TV coverage of local sports. So, you know, that's big in small towns. So mm-hmm. Friday Night Lights, that sort of thing. He also now has um, a, a press that does signage and T-shirts. And so, you know, he's cobbling together lots of pieces to keep the paper going. Because you're right, it is a, it's a tougher environment for yeah, sure. It is. Uh, and I will, full disclosure... I am a hard copy newspaper fan from the word go. Uh, opening up that newspaper every day is one of my favorite moments of the day. I, me too. And isn't it funny in some ways um, when you read a news? I don't know. Just seeing the headlines mm-hmm. has a has a different impact mm-hmm. than reading some sort of online piece. Not that not that you can't get great information from online sources because you certainly can. But boy, there, there's just a different look and feel. Some research has been done. Um, so when kids read their Kindles or whatever versus if you read something hard copy and you literally are and you underline something, you are you will remember it because it's both the tactile uh, experience of underlining that helps it sink into your brain. So it's not just something you, th- that, you that you think might happen. It really is true. That's awesome because I get made fun of all the time for wanting hard copies. And now I've got an actual got it, data right. point. Uh-huh. And it and, you know. Truth be told, when it's when it's when it's a really important document and it's almost ready to go out, I want to see it hard copy. Yep. Uh, but in in the editing stages, not at all. It's yeah. just way easier to get in and edit. Yeah. In well, Word. There is. We can move on here, but there's just nothing about a hard copy newspaper I don't love. I love the fact that you know it's it's your local and your national and everything in the same place. It's sports. It's news. I love the puzzles. I like the comics. I like. It sounds awful, but even the obituaries. I mean, everything you need to know in your local community. Yeah, and you can't get it online. That's right. awesome. I never knew your family's in the newspaper mm-hmm. business. That's yes, cool. Yes. Okay, so went to school down there. Also, mm-hmm. Southwest well, Missouri. I uh-huh, went to high school. Then went to Drury College mm-hmm. uh, for four years. Started out um, in in business. Then found psychology and thought, oh, this is really interesting too. And then went on and found economics. And if my dad hadn't said you have four years, I would have majored in all three, but have two degrees, business psychology and minor in economics. And then went uh, to the University of Kansas for a master's degree in organizational psychology, which uh, is really a melding of psychology and business Mm -hmm. with a particular focus on sort of figuring out, you know, you look at the landscape, what's going on in the world, and then how should your business be organized how sh- both sort of structurally, but skill set wise, and how do you sort of position for what's going on in the world today? And then some of the work that I've done more recently, looking at long-term and emerging trends in transportation, sort of helps you start thinking about um, how you can forecast or look forward, use some foresight to think about what the future might look like, and then what does that mean for your organization? So uh, it all sort of starts to make sense. when you When you do a retrospective of my history, as I was... As I was developing it, I'm not sure there was always that much thought. I was just going to say, if it had been intentional, it would have been brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but it may have been partly serendipity. I, same same for me. You know what? Yeah. Um, success is some part of hard work, for sure, yeah. and some part of luck. Mm-hmm. And something you and I both have in common. Well, actually, I don't want to speak for you. It's an assumption I'm making, but going through post-secondary education or whatever, you know, I'd I didn't know I was going to wind up working in the engineering world. Not at all. That was oh. it was unintentional, just lucky. Yep, really. me too. I, I certainly just sort of, it, it fell into place. Um, so 
I had, had worked on my master's degree. I ended up in California for a little bit working for a city, worked on an environmental impact statement. They were looking at what would you do with um, extra affluent, extra like wastewater. Mm-hmm. And the thought was, oh, let's just use it on a golf course. And we were looking at how that could be permitted. And then after uh, additional analysis was done, it was like, okay, wait, that doesn't make any sense. There's extra affluent in the wintertime. And we don't need to water the golf course then. We really need the affluent in the summertime, and it's all dried up. So anyway, interesting analysis taught me the value of doing some advanced engineering before you <laughs> before you actually build a plant. Very cool. So then came back to Kansas City and looked for any firms that were hiring somebody that did environmental impact statement sorts of work and went to work for a, a small engineering firm. And they were like, oh, she can talk to people. Let's have her do some marketing. And then went on to Woodward Clyde, which eventually was acquired by URS, and then went on to HNTB. And by that time, had moved on from marketing to doing public involvement and starting some policy work. And then that's when I met Deb Miller, and she recruited me to KDOT and had a fantastic time there. And that's when I really started doing much more serious policy work and in conjunction with engagement work. Yeah. Woodward Clyde, um, were you... Physically, where were you located when you were with them? I was in, in Overland Park Okay. with them. I, though, had um, a three-week stint where they sent me to Jakarta to help open the uh, the Jakarta, Indonesia. Jakarta, as in Indonesia. Southeast Asia, Indonesia? Uh-huh. Holy cow. So that was a really interesting. My job was to go to each of the USAID offices mm-hmm. and look for what grant opportunities there might be available. Cool. Well, Woodward Clyde, we have a, a leadership program, emerg- Emerging Leaders Program, that we're very, very proud of. We just had wonderful people come through it and we've used for years a gentleman named lee james he teaches the economic section did you ever meet lee the name's familiar yeah uh-huh. he's a cpa and he has that rigid black and white cpa mentality about business and profitability and liability but it, he's got you know consulting background so yeah i haven't heard the name woodward clyde in a long time except for him yep mm-hmm. uh so how did your career evolve um, from those early stages and into the policy and into the public awareness and the public interface piece that you've done. And then I know one of the last uh, things that you were active in on the private side was a lot of um, futurist things and helping clients and entities understand what the future looks like, how to prepare for that. Uh, I'm sure that could be a two-hour story in the right environment, but give me the short version of how you evolved through all that in your career. So I'd, I'd hop back actually to um, my junior year, between my junior and senior year in college, and I served as an intern for Ike Skelton. In Wash- I was the LBJ intern in Washington, D.C. For, yeah, right? Yeah. And awesome guy and really opened my eyes to, um, to the public sector. And I thought, well, this is really cool. This is really interesting. Also, I thought, oh my gosh, it takes a long time for much of anything to get done in Washington, D.C. But that's not all bad, right? Because as the pendulum swings really hard one way or the other, it, some moderation is just kind of good for the country overall, right? Not to go too far left or too far right. So that was an interesting observation. As I then moved through other parts of my career, I had a soft spot for, for public policy. I still remember I, I was I had to write or was given the opportunity to write an editorial about the whatever the the 50th anniversary of Social Security or something like that. And I got to go to the Library of Congress and do research. And it was cool. just it was just a really it it was a really interesting 
time in my life. I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the public policy piece. And then as I kind of went through, and I talked about being on the private side, the public side, and in the last eight to 10 years, uh, while working at Burns and Mac, that's where I was previously, started working harder and harder on not just the policy piece of how do you prioritize investments for today, but when you're making investments that are so large and so expensive and they need to last for the next 50 to 75 years, how do you sort of future-proof those investments? And did some work for NCHRP, that, so that's National Cooperative Highway Research Program, which is funded through the National Academies of Science. And there was a project uh, called, for, well, at that time, it, was, it wasn't branded Foresight. We eventually branded it that way. But the Academy, for the first time ever, had put $6 million into long-term long and emerging trends research relative to transportation. So they took a look at sociodemographics, technology, climate change, um, freight, and there were two others. And so what they had done is they'd done some foundational research. And typically, TRB does research on really specific things like what should this bridge bolt you know, like, what's the spec for this bridge bolt? Or really specific, concrete kinds of things. This is the first time they'd done really big, long-term research. And they thought, all right, now we just spent $6 million. We don't want it to just sit on the shelf. What can we do to promote this research? So they put out an RFP, and my, my team was selected to figure out how to stitch together this these six disparate research projects and kind of create a hook to get people interested in long-term study. Hmm. So we branded it Foresight, and we started talking about scenario planning, and then used that as a way to, as the entry point into these six pieces. So scenario planning is different than the way you might think about planning or forecasting. So in a point forecast, you say, this is where I am today, and through a series of incremental changes, I'm probably going to end up here in 30 to 40 years. Well, the world is so complex and things are changing at such a rapid rate, in fact, an, an accelerating rate of change, right? So the question became, instead of trying to predict the future, envision different plausible futures, and then dial that back to say, so then what ought we be doing today? So to say, I could imagine a future where tech triumphs. You could also imagine a future of global chaos. You might also envision a future of gentle footprint. You might also envision a momentum sort of future. And you identify the drivers of change, and you look at how those can combine and collide in different ways to create these plausible futures. And then you, as I said, you dial it back to today, and you identify recommendations for um, for actions that would help you across all those scenarios, a couple of actions that might help you in individual scenarios, a couple of hedging strategies, a couple of like really leap forward strategies. And so it's a different way of thinking about the future. I'm very excited when we started a long range plan in Kansas, we're gonna use that technique. Yeah. So I have used that technique um, in Arkansas, most recently with Governor Baker in uh, Massachusetts. We did some really interesting work with MassDOT as they looked out 40 years and tried to decide what ought they be investing in today. Um, it's a different way of thinking, and I think it's enormously productive and stimulating in this kind of environment. Isn't it awesome how many skill sets are critical in the consulting engineering world that are not engineering? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, and right. An entire you had an entire career providing services that are not design services, you know, critical to the industry. Exactly. I, when I think about um, 
So the trick, not the trick, but I think the challenge often is to to take, in, in engineering, because engineers, their job is to make things actually work and to be safe. And so I, I highly respect that. You also have to pair that, though, with the general messy world of humans and where things don't always work the way you think they're going to and humans aren't always logical. However, it is my belief, if you can take really complicated information and you distill it down to really the nut, the thing that, like the real essence of of your information, and you work with reasonable people, they will get to a good answer. I also am a huge proponent, if there's anything that will... um, that will mark my tenure at KDOT, it's that I am collaborative. I believe in the power of collaboration, which is not to say that we take a vote on everything or to say I'm trying to make people happy because that's a fool's errand. Rather, what you want to do is um, kind of set up the parameters for the discussion, provide good information, understandable data, and then open your mind to thinking about um, how people can shape a better outcome or a better solution. Because there is... there. In the public policy world, in big investment world, there usually isn't one right answer. There's just a com, you know, a compilation of lots of good ideas. And mm-hmm. so, how to meld that together? Um, but you can't al- allow that the process to overtake the benefit of making a decision at some point too. So, keeping all that in balance. And kudos to you for that collaborative approach. And we've already seen it um, for our listeners out there. Uh, Secretary Lorenz and I both just got up and left the ACC Kansas board meeting, you'd volunteer to come over. I think we'd asked for 15 minutes of your time and then ended up getting closer to 40. And uh, you've already had ACEC in on a couple of task teams over there, and that collaborative approach is just awesome, and we're hugely appreciative of that. Uh, it, it's wonderful to be at a full partnering table. It's fantastic. Um, and probably a good segue, so talked a little bit about young Secretary Lorenz and the career trajectory. Uh, I was tempted to, but didn't ask you what you did to fill your, your misspent time as a, as a youth. But uh, And I cannot help myself. I have to mention listeners out there. One thing that's super cool for me, my dad, of course, was a longtime career KDOT guy. And that is my, most of my memories of you are from your prior time at KDOT. Um, through my dad. No doubt. Oh, I, I still have many Terryisms. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> do tell. Oh yeah. So one was like, you know, the, and, and like, oh, he's like a duck. Every day's a new day. Um, <laughs> that's one that I use, you know, maybe more than I should. But your dad also taught, and this is something that it, that sticks with me. Never give someone something, and then take it away. They will. They'll forgive. Like if if. And it's just really important, right? Not, like not to say, all right, we're going to take this action or that action and then and then jump away from it. So as we make decisions, collaborative decisions, it's eyes wide open and really sticking with a commitment once you make it. Yeah. And I know both of you, uh, just a, a note about him, he just cherished the time he got to spend there working with Deb Miller. Uh, and I know you did too. It's just been a pretty fun, for me personally, it's just been a pretty fun circle as all of this has evolved over the years. And, you know, I never knew I was going to be working with the engineers when I met you a thousand years ago through dad. It's pretty, pretty cool stuff. And Deb Miller, I thought about her today. A lot of our listeners will remember her too, but of all of her gifts, the one that is, is just the most unique 
most people that talk that fast cannot be that articulate and that clear and that efficient with their words. Uh, listening to her talk was both more enlightening than almost anybody you would listen to and intellectually felt like an hour on the treadmill. Yes. Because if you if you paused as a listener for a nanosecond, you would miss. You, I know, I know. Yeah. Brilliant that she that her brain and her mouth worked at the same pace. That's the perfect Because I have to, yeah, I have to wor- watch out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one doesn't get ahead of the other. <laughs> I do too. Uh, and you summed it up way better, more succinctly. Yeah, her brain and her, and her mouth worked in tandem at the same speed you know, almost without error. It was an impressive, I think about her often, um, again, for our listeners, Secretary Lorenz and I both gave testimony on a bill this morning over the Capitol. And I often think about her over there as the chairwoman McGinn said, we'd like you all to limit your testimony to four minutes, which is a common thing. And, you know, for me, I have to think, oh, I have to really put some thought into what I want to, you know, pair out and uh, Deb could get more data right, right, in right. four minutes than, yeah. Absolutely. You know, the, a couple of things I really appreciated about my time at KDOT. One is that I had a fantastic platform from which to try many things around engagement. And um, as you'll recall, under T-Works, we started doing some economic analysis mm-hmm. and opening up uh, the prioritization process to include not just engineering factors, but also to take a look at local local input and economics and going forward, you know, if, if the bill that we're talking about goes forward, we'll continue to expand that criteria. What we won't do is uh, expand that criteria in a vacuum. We'll go out and we'll talk with folks to understand uh, what they think is important and why, most importantly, why they think it's important. Yeah. And it's a, a, a good segue. You started earlier and I kind of jumped back with a little nostalgia. Let's change gears and talk about the future at KDOT and your vision and would love to hear about, you know, anytime you come into an organization new and it's one that you've been to before, but a lot has changed. Um, it's usually easy to see some low hanging fruit that you want to attack quickly. And then you identify some more long-term strategic things. Love to know what your vision is both on some of the tactical items that, you know, you can approach, uh, from utilitarian stance pretty quickly and get after and more of the, uh, you know, collaborative, long-term vision of what you see there. Oh man, so lots of lots of thoughts there. Um, I would say we will embark this spring on on what will be, I think, a very defining project, which will be our long-range plan. And within that long-range plan, we will we'll take a look at again long-term and emerging trends, not only in technology but in terms of our demographics in the state and what's happening well beyond our state, so that we can begin to really leverage technologies and some opportunities that maybe we haven't ha- haven't been able to take advantage of. Remember the environment in which we're working is is now a more collaborative kind of space and uh, we need to rebuild KDOT, we need to rebuild state government, which is not at all, and I want to be really clear and careful whenever I talk about rebuilding or strengthening KDOT. I am so thankful for the employees who stayed through really lean, tough years. Those, those years have taken a toll um, and we need to bring new in, we need to re-energize the department and re-energize and ignite the conversation about transportation across the state. Um, I talk often about transportation isn't just roads and bridges. That's not what it's about. It's about getting people where they want to go, how they want to go safely, and choice is expensive. And we can't do everything for everyone right off the bat, so we're going to have to make some decisions. 
But I'd also say um, one of my principles is not to fall for, for fall for false choices. So our world is too big and too complex to just to think in binary terms. Um, it's not an either to the extent we can reframe problems and not try to not try to rush to an either or decision, the better off we're going to be as a state. So you can hold two thoughts in your head at the same time, right? We can have a really good rural infrastructure system and a really good urban one. And what we have to work on is how those two connect and support each other. And you, you just that's the way we will approach our planning process is to try to think about the and in the world instead of the or. And I almost hesitate to bring this up because by the time the podcast comes out, <laughs> the the future of this legislation will probably be known. It'll be a past tense deal. But all the same, whatever happens to this specific legislation, I think it's important to your vision of the future. Um, Transportation Task Force last fall. Um, funny how you can wear two different hats but still be in the same pond. Um, when you were with Burns and Mac, you, uh, Burns and Mac got the contract to help facilitate that. And so you were instrumental in that task force. And now they've come out with seven specific pieces of legislation that came about as part of that effort. Now as secretary, uh, it's on your plate to shepherd the important parts of those ideas forward. So anything you want to share about the priorities there and and how that plays into the vision? So Absolutely right. Regardless of what happens with the legislation, we need to get a good long-range plan in place that will help shape the direction of the agency and the and the and the the trajectory of transportation in the state. So we need to do that regardless, because whether the bills are successful this year or not, we'll go forward again next year. Need transportation needs aren't going away, and certainly we saw under uh, the task under information that was discussed in the task force, we've got some problems with our infrastructure. The health of our system is in decline. We haven't properly funded uh, preservation for years. You know, we have had the trifecta of trouble this year, I would say. Uh, We haven't properly invested in preservation, number one. Number two, our crews are not of sufficient size to be able to get out and patch potholes at the rate at which we would like for that to happen. And we've had a really horrific winter. You put those three things together, and there are more potholes today than when I started this job, which is not exactly what you want, right? Right. So... um, We've got a lot of work to do just to just to reclaim the health of our system. Uh, our our highway system is valued at something like thirty billion dollars. It's one of the most valuable assets of the state. We have to take care of it. We also have to figure out how to how to get more help to our modes because those are fundamental to people's quality of life and their health. And after that, we need to think about economic development and how our state can be healthy and vibrant on an ongoing, sustainable um, basis. Well, I know, speaking on behalf of the industry, sure appreciate, you know, Governor Kelly has made the comment multiple times that we've got a a goal and we're committed to it. No more sweeps by 2023. And for most of our listeners know this, but there's 460 million ish, I think, is supposed to go from sales tax into transportation each year. And for many years now, that money has been in most years swept entirely um, already in the next fiscal year, she's proposed leaving $160 million, And I know the message is by fiscal year 2023, no more sweeps at all. Uh, so certainly want to applaud you and the governor for that ambition and that goal. I mean, if that change alone goes through, it's, it's just huge. a seismic change. It is. So I would offer a quick caveat to that. That's mm-hmm. if all the 
if all the budget pieces hold together. So that is sure. the plan. That's the goal. Goal is yeah. a good word. But that is sort of the beauty of the way the T-Works program was put together. Two two important pieces. The first is that had had all of the funds continued to be deposited and left in the state highway fund, certainly we wouldn't be in this pickle right now. But the program was established so that it would work on an ongoing basis. So if the funds continued to be transferred into the state highway fund, you would be able to preserve the system and be able to do smallish to medium-sized projects on an ongoing basis. And quite frankly, given sort of the size and scope of our state, that works. And then there was a bonding cap that was also put into place Mm -hmm. whereby you could bond up to 18% of your revenues. And that then is the flexibility part of the program so that you could, for example, bond up for a gateway project, which is in Kansas City. It was our first design build project. Pay that off. Then you could bond up to do maybe the intermodal facility, you know, um, in southern Johnson County. Pay that off. Bond up and do some of the the North Junction work in Wichita. Pay that off. Because, again, you are on an ongoing basis paying for your bread and butter preservation and for mid-sized projects and the big projects would be the ones you could bond for right Mm -hmm. now we are exceeded our bond cap you know this better than i do a couple years ago actually bonded for preservation work of which 400 million dollars for preservation work of which most of that was light preservation like that and i am a i am a believer in bonding you should bond for infrastructure improvements where multiple generations are going to benefit from the project multiple generations can pay for the project you should never bond for preservation. I would have made the same decision because that that was sort of a fire on, you know, a firehouse sale kind of thing that had to happen. That's not the way we want to do work going forward. Yeah, it incredibly unfortunate that that decision somehow was the best one available. Right. I mean, you just never no want criticism. To be in that, situation that was just what at all. Uh, so we so getting off the transfers, shutting the close closing the bank of KDOT, so to speak, right. Here, here. Uh, that gets us that gets us m- very close to a new program. Then we start taking a look at being able to bond in 2022, and then probably it is time to take a look at a few other sources. And we had some of that discussion. It was, I thought it was really interesting as we start to take a look at registration fees for electric and hybrid cars. And I'd be the first to say, m- not ideal. On the other hand, because of of environmental impacts, we ought to encourage people to to use electric and hybrid vehicles. On the other hand, my business is to essentially sell roads, right? I need I need revenue to take to take care of existing infrastructure and to build new infrastructure. And so if you have an electric car and you're driving on the highway, I need some way to recoup your use of that highway, which is why I'm so excited to start talking about new ways of doing business. Uh, previously, I did some work on I-95 for road usage charge study Mm -hmm. and that's something i'd like to start exploring here in kansas over time it's going to be a messy transition whether you're talking about road usage charges or automated vehicles or anything else you just don't flip the switch and everything is is all new and shiny again so it will be messy right now registration fees just sort of the easiest way to collect for the road that's being used but long term Mm -hmm. we ought to be pricing our infrastructure we ought to be selling quote unquote, our infrastructure based on the use that you take from it, like a utility. So Mm -hmm. what time of day are you driving on which road and how busy is it and how heavy is your vehicle? All those factors could be taken into account. Isn't it amazing how comfortably society accepts so many systems that charge you on straight usage and the nature of your usage 
and yet bridles at the thought of doing it in transportation. Because we just, we assume, we think that that roads are free when in fact they're tax supported, they're fee supported. And the the privacy issue, which I do not mean to belittle at all, I know that's extremely legitimate, but the number of ways in which those folks have already, you know, they're... The cat's out of the bag. Oh, it's all the way out of the bag, (laughs) all the way. And yet the, yeah, it's... But you do have to put some protections in place. And so... That is, exa- we ought to be having, we ought to start exploring how that works. We ought, also have to take a look at some equity issues, too. If you're in rural areas and you have to drive further to the doctor, for example, should that be a consideration? You know, I mean, that's a question that you have to ask. Yeah. Also, you may not, the quality of your infrastructure may not be as high. And you may not have as many choices as if you're in an urbanized area. So there are lots of things to think through. And, and the sooner we start that discussion, the sooner we can get it figured out. Yeah. This is, um, I meant to interject this earlier, it won't be as timely now, but when we were talking about the the sweeps and the money that we've done without and reaching the point where we had to bond for light preservation, which is just not good public policy, there was a conferee yesterday, um, I testified on behalf of ACC on the tax, uh, the gas tax increase bill, we supported that. A lot of opposition, there always is, um, and one of the conferees made the comment that the proponents of this bill say we need this money for you know preservation and investment, but they have done without $2 billion over the last however many years, and things still seem to be working just fine. Yeah. And well, I appreciate that. Let me pick that up. Oh, please, please do <laughs> pick, pick it up and pick it apart. I will, full disclosure, I, I had to like beat down the gag reflex when I heard uh, well, the comment. <laughs> so, you know, we talked, I, Larry Thompson, shout out from KDOT. He did a fantastic job at the Olathe meeting, if you recall, with the task force. Mm-hmm. That was a, and it took us a while to figure out how to quite, how to communicate well. And I, and I hope we're communicating well now. So there are, there's the surface condition of a highway and you know, you can do a light action and it can ride pretty smoothly and it can be a pretty dark pavement with bright stripes. And you're like, that's a good looking highway. That's got to be in good shape. But then when you go in and you do the core sample, you realize actually it's crumbling underneath. And that's what we were able to show to the task force. And US 83 in Haskell County was the example that we used. So the picture looks good, but the core samples just falling apart. And that is a combination of, again, those light actions and, and quite frankly, not being able to maybe take care of the potholes as quickly as we would have liked. So our system is not in good shape. And you'll recall the graphic that I show over and over again, which is we we had been living on past investments. Under the CHP and the CTP invested well in preservation. We were kind of living off that until about, interestingly, 2010, 2011, when we saw the... Because what you want to do is you want to achieve steady state. You want to be using the life of your pavement at about the rate that you're replacing it. Mm-hmm. And we we had been above steady state, dropped in about 2010, 2011. And re- you'll recall the transfers began almost immediately after T-Works was passed, but it was really in the back half of the program where the transfers were really, really horrific. But it was in about 20, if I recall, 2015, maybe 16, where we actually start to dip below steady state. And, and it's a precipitous drop. Because it's that freeze-thaw cycle. And once you get enough moisture within the pavement itself, boom, you really hit the tipping point very quickly. And I, I am concerned 
I'm very concerned about our pavement across the state. That's our most, that's one of our most valuable assets. We can't let that go. On the other hand, communities need safety improvements and they need new interchanges. So we have, we have some work to do. On the other hand, if you only focus on what's wrong, you're never going to, you're never going to get anywhere. So I talk a lot at KDOT and when I'm around the state about turning the page and brighter days are ahead (laughs) combined with also like trying not to increase expectations too high too fast because we got it we got a lot of work to do yeah well it was uh, uh just i was incredulous when i heard the statement yesterday for all the reasons you just talked about and thought to myself my gosh do we is that really where we are in the education curve with folks do folks really uh think that that two billion dollars of lost revenue has not had an impact uh, and of course for our listeners on the acc podcast we're preaching to the choir they they get it but well secretary we need to probably wrap up here i've i've promised your hard-working team to keep you on schedule and i need to keep that commitment but a couple things one uh, just hugely appreciative of you making time to come over here and as we mentioned earlier prior to the podcast you spent 40 minutes with our board of directors just having good collaborative discussions and appreciate all of that more than you know oh well thank you and i had an ask you know uh, scott i think we can talk a little bit about the ask mm-hmm. um as kdot strengthens we need to work with our partners both on the consulting engineer side as well as with contractors um we don't have as many folks as we used to have. We know that we have a lot of folks that are of retirement age. I'm so thankful that they stay. But we as a community, as a broader transportation community, very much, we need partnering like we've never needed it before as we try to strengthen our infrastructure system. So I welcome opportunities, whether it's through liaison committees or whatever, but thinking about how we strengthen um, the community is is important and i appreciate your your willingness to help on that absolutely well we've got very lucky in kansas or maybe it's not luck but we've got a great history going a long way back between the dot and the consulting engineering industry on that partnering and i think it looks looks pretty rosy moving ahead too we're i say mosey rosy looking ahead (laughs) uh yeah so we're excited about that and we appreciate it a lot well we're going to close it down with this we always like to ask our guests we call it the lightning round some random personal questions not too personal um that help us know more about our guest today uh tell me you can pick one all time or you can list a handful uh favorite movies oh wow Mm -hmm. yeah we're leaving engineering behind here Okay, so that would be Casablanca and To Kill a Mockingbird. A traditionalist. Very good. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Did you read um, Harper Lee's I did. second book? That... Watch, set a Watchman? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What sure did you think? Well, so I would say To Kill a Mockingbird is way better. Yeah. It was, it was good, but, you know, soft spot for To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. I didn't read the new one. Um, tempted to just because It's good. Harper no, no. Well, well done, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but very much a classic uh, those are old school movies. That's awesome. <laughs> I am not for scary movies or really intense movies. Yeah. Uh, I like histotainment. So <laughs> that's <laughs> I'd never heard that term before. I made it that's up. great. Did you really? Yeah. I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't invent the internet, but uh, <laughs> but I think I coined histotainment. <laughs> histotainment. Yeah, I do too. Those are some of my favorite movies. I don't know if you get out to movies much these days, but I just saw Green Book. Oh, I want um, to. No, I haven't oh. seen a movie forever. You know, we pretty much, we stream a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you get a chance to see Green Book, holy good. cow. Good, um, good. Amazing. Heavy. 
uh, yeah, make you contemplate definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, if we were to plug in your uh, phone or whatever else you stream music through these days, mm-hmm. what will we hear? So Spotify, I go through Spotify, and there's um, background piano background music that I play when I'm working, mm-hmm. and then um, I have several run lists, mostly from uh, like the 2000s. Very good. Pop or top 40 type stuff? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it classifies the same, but on my Apple iTunes, the category is New Age, which just has a connotation like you're sitting around a candle i'm not quite that right not quite and and like california rock is a new is was a new one that came out on spotify and i like it a lot well on the new age there's some stuff on there that is it's well just seems weird to me but if you if you thumbs up it right you know or or get your playlist right i get a lot of um just piano only music oh right right Um, i like that for background i do too yeah i listen to that a lot so how's your band oh you are kind to ask well the uh the band that i played with and dad for many That's many what years I'm yeah, yeah no yeah. we uh, we pretty much retired a few years ago dad retired i think his quote was something like 50 years of loading pa gear at two in the morning in february may be enough <laughs> yep something like that um but i still i've got friends um musicians from nashville that i bring up several times a year and do gigs here locally fun. And it is fun uh, it's been a ton of fun invite me uh, challenge accepted. Uh, be careful what you, once you're on the list, you've got to have a notary public send me a letter to get you off of it. Oh, you won't get spammed that much, but, uh, playing with those guys, probably six, seven weekends a year. Oh, wow. Good. Uh, and since you were kind enough to ask, I've been recording a lot of music with those guys in Nashville and you can get it all through Spotify if you want to hear it. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Awesome. Absolutely. I want to know more. Uh, well, you and about three other people in America <laughs> based on my uh, <laughs> data mining. <laughs> you, have a, you have a good, solid target market. <laughs> That's right. Somehow I seem to be big in Bulgaria, according to my data mining services. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, isn't I'll it? I give you that. <laughs> Well, with that, we will wrap up. But, um, Julie, thanks a million for making time to be here. It was a blast to have you. We've been excited about this. Thank you. uh, You bet. Look forward to working with you into the future and uh, may even have you back on the podcast later on. Would be fun. Thank you. That'd be great. Listeners, thanks for joining us on the QBS Express, and we look forward to having you again on the next episode. 